And everybody else, please stand um, and join me for our scripture reading this morning. Our scripture is found in Psalms 46, and it's verses 1 through 11. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her <laughs> at break of day. <laughs> Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields of, with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for Pastor Kyle, who digs into it, and Lord, that you lead him and that your spirit leads him. I pray this morning that you would speak through him. God, speak to him and speak to us as well. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, man. You may be seated. Thank you. So um, Psalm chapter 46 is sort of the anthem passage of Scripture for our verse in general. You may have, may have noticed that the first line of Psalm chapter 46 is that the Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. The name of our church is Refuge Church, and we sort of um, fished this name out from other sources, but this passage in particular. Um, before I, I get going with our sermon here, I want to let you all know that there is going to be a, a wake and a funeral for um, just friends uh, of us in our church. They, they haven't been to our church. We've been praying for them and um, over the years. We met them. They're, they're um, in Warren, um, and it's just people that have been so gracious to us and um, offered us many just like encouraging words and gifts and whatnot, and we've been just praying for them throughout over the past couple of years since we've been here. Um, recently, they had a really hard tragedy happen in their lives. David and Barbara Farish's um, son um, tragically died. And um, the, the wake and the funeral is uh, up there on the screen for anyone who might want to participate and just show some love and encouragement. It's actually today. The wake is today um, at Smith Funeral Home in Warren. And the funeral is tomorrow um, at St. Luke's Church in Barrington. So we're just going to be praying for them. Um, they're dear, dear friends of us. Um, going through really difficult, challenging times right now. So I actually want to um, pray for them right now real quick, if we could. Just uh, take some silence to just reflect on the brevity of life and the need that we have for comfort in Christ. So let's just do that. God, your church comes together and intercedes on behalf of the Frerish family, 
who is going through great heartache and loss. I pray, God, that you would comfort the brokenhearted. Your word says in Psalm 34 that you are near to those with a shattered heart. And God, you're near to them right now. I pray, Lord, that you would speak words of life, that you would save those who don't know Christ, that you would use this event um, that is hard to understand um, to lead people to the love of Jesus. I pray for their children that were left behind and the wife that was left behind. I pray that you would comfort them as they grieve today and tomorrow and no doubt for years to come. I pray, God, that you would um, use your gospel to give hope. And God, I pray, Lord, that um, you would hear our prayer this morning. God, we're, we are your family. Um, God, our sins are washed away because of the cross of Christ. And your word says to come boldly to the throne of grace. And that's what we do now. We ask, Lord, for transformation, for salvation, for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> king Hezekiah was a king in Judah. And Judah was the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel. At, at one point after King David, I'm sure that you've all at least heard of him, if you're somewhat new to scripture and the stories of the Bible, King David was the dude that killed Goliath, and you know we all kind of know about him. But under King David and his son King Solomon, there was great prosperity. The kingdom of Israel had advanced um, far and vast wealth um, and power, notoriety throughout the world. Some suggest that um, at, the, at the point of King Solomon's reign, that the nation of Israel was actually the reigning superpower on the earth, um, much like England was for centuries and the United States and others. Um, at one point in the nation of Israel, though, they divided into two kingdoms um, because of division in, in government and who would succeed King Solomon as king. Um, this fight for power started happening, and eventually what happened was that the kingdom was divided into two kingdoms, two separate independent kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you don't know this, it can be kind of confusing, because you see kings, and um, the kings are representative of the north and sometimes of the south, and you wonder, well, I thought this guy was the king, what's going on? And sometimes you, you might get a little lost if you don't know that context. But essentially where we are in Psalm chapter 46 is that the nation of Israel is divided and the northern kingdom is about to be decimated by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. King Hezekiah was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. So in this surge um, of destruction, the king of Assyria comes in, decimates the northern kingdom, is about to do the same thing to the southern kingdom. Forty-six towns and villages in Judah had been sacked. Over 200,000 res residents had been taken captive, along with much spoils, belongings, riches, wealth. But at least 185,000 troops surrounded Jerusalem. And it just looked like a matter of time before the southern kingdom would fall as well. But proud Sennacherib, this king of Assyria, he probably should have remembered that Hezekiah's God is the living God who will not be mocked. Hezekiah does something really genius. He prays. <laughs> he doesn't scheme. He doesn't get his best generals together. He doesn't mark out a plan. He says, let's pray. Hezekiah prays. God speaks. 
end of story. Sennacherib's defeated by conquering the, the Lord, um, the angel of the Lord, conquers 185,000 um, of Sennacherib's soldiers. Judah is liberated, and the southern kingdom continues on. You can read more about this in Second, Second Kings. These are Old Testament books, Second Kings chapter 18, Second Chronicles chapter 32, and actually the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament in chapters 36 and 37 talks about it as well. That's the historical narrative of what's actually taking place in, in the southern kingdom. Psalm 46 is a prayer. It's a cry for help. It's a reminder of who our great God is during tremendous pressure. Someone once said that out of the crucible of extreme adversity, God provides deliverance. Out of the crucible of extreme diversity, God provides deliverance. And you know, friends, Psalm 46 relates to any one of us who might encounter a time of trouble. To anyone who maybe you're headed for it in your life. Life's pretty good right now, but we all kind of know the world we live in, and it could be around the corner for us, no matter how extreme it might be. So I got a, a question to ask us. Where's our soul right now? Is it troubled? Has tragedy struck? Do you feel as if your life is just unmanageable? Maybe you feel lost or lonely or scared. This psalm tells us that God, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, is the only adequate refuge for us in times of trouble. It's not more money. It's not reconciliation of friendships. It's not a nice job. It's not even health. It's the Lord. When our souls are crushed, He is our refuge. And I, I felt this week the need to, we're, we're going through, if you've been with us for a while, we're going through the book of Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible. We're going through that kind of systematically, and it's been really great. I've been enjoying that process with you all and learning things myself, but I just kind of felt like we needed to take a break from that this week um, because of just the enduring tragedies that I know people are going through um, some, for some suddenly and without expectation for others of us maybe perhaps for a long time. Like I said, one dear family lost their 40-year-old son to just a, a tragedy. Another, I know, friend... Um, uh, a friend of someone in this church lost their elderly father um, from dementia. Um, walked off into the woods, um, driving his car, stopped, walked off into the woods. Elderly man, had dementia, no one knew where he went or what happened, and he perished. Tragedy. My own father, um, who's sitting here this morning, is dealing with um, caring for his um, aged dad. Um, and, and I know many of you have gone through that yourselves and how just taxing emotionally and physically that can be. I've talked to several others whose marriages are troubled, in trouble. Some have just job crises going on, crises. It feels, it, it just feels, you know, you, you read, for some of us, you really can appreciate the language of Psalm cha chapter 46. The mountains falling into the sea. It feels as if at times in our lives, that's what's happening, figuratively. Metaphoric, um, so a metaphorical mountain has fallen into the sea. Man, life is just hard sometimes, right? Can I get an amen? It can be confusing. 
It can be angering. It can be frightening. And sometimes all you want to do is just get on a plane and fly to nowhere. <laughs> right? So next week, if this room is empty, I'll understand why. There are times in life we just wish someone is, would come along, would just pick us up, take us away, right? Throw a blanket over us, protect us. We just long for that refuge. I, when I was a kid, I'm going to out my mom right now. I think she's right there in the back. So this is not a, a good story about my mom. It doesn't, it doesn't show her good parenting prowess. Um, when I was five or six years old, I... Uh, I was taken by my mom. This was not my father. He had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> I was taken by my mom, me and my sister, to the, get this, five years old, the Lizzie Borden Museum in Fall River. What, do you, what were you thinking, Mom? Still, Oprah called me. <laughs> so she takes me to the Lizzie Borden Museum, me and my sister, and we're walking around. How many people have been to the Lizzie Borden Museum? Okay, just... So, some advice to you parents, don't take your five-year-old there. Um, so <laughs> we're walking around, and at first it's nice, you know, like you see her bedroom and her toys. Even that was a little creepy, but, you know, then her kitchen and the living room. But then they take you into the death room, <laughs> right, the death room. You guys know what the, if you've been there, you know what the death room is? Yeah, so I'm so, maybe if there's little kids in here. No, they're in the other room. That's good. So the death room is, it's graphic. It's skulls, it's axes, it's all this stuff. I don't know if you know the story of Lizzie Borden or not, but it was just this woman who, who had, had some business with her parents um, 150 years ago. Um, and she was a local, lived in Fall River. But it was terrifying. It was gruesome. And I was scared witless. I would not sleep in my bed for weeks. I don't even know how long I wouldn't sleep in my bed. I thought she was going to come out of the grave, crawl through my window, and take care of me. <laughs> um, but I'll say this though going through that time as a young man I remember being so terrified in my bed you know just incredibly afraid but the one time I would not be afraid at all the one time that I would I would feel as if nothing could harm me or hurt me is if my mom was sitting on the bed with me or my dad their presence equaled to me safety. I'm going to be okay. Dad's here. And nothing can get dad. I'm going to be okay. Mom's here. Nothing can get mom. It's when they left the room. <laughs> and I was on my own. And I think for probably a couple of weeks, I refused to sleep in my own bed. But isn't that true? You can all, I think, remember times in your life as a youngster, just being terrified of something and just wanting to be with mom, wanting to be with dad, and feeling as if, you would be safe with them. They were your refuge. You see, friends, it's no different this morning with our Lord. You know, it might not feel that way, but God wants you to know that he is that for you, that he is your refuge in times of tragedy, in times of fear, in times of conflict, that you can rest on him, you can lean on him, and that in Christ when you come to him and he washes you clean, you're going to be okay. No matter what it is, you're going to be okay. So I want to look at this a little bit more, that God, the Lord, is our refuge in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of fear, in the midst of conflict. 
God is our refuge and strength, it says, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Earth, mountains, water, sea, quaking, surging, trouble. You see, this is not good language. Vivid language, quite material quite earthly. Bad stuff is going on. It's picturing like natural catastrophes like storms or tsunamis or earthquakes. Catastrophic images of the end of the world almost. You know, the world might be ending, might not be ending, but your world might be. It might feel like that. It might feel like your world is ending. Something happens where your mountain falls into the sea. Mountains, by the way, are supposed to be safe places too, right? You know, when, when there's bad stuff going on, a big storm coming, you head for the high ground. You go up the mountain, you'll be okay up there. But here, the mountains are crumbling. The things that we would trust for safety are now gone. All of our safety nets are removed from us. The things that we would fall back on in times of trouble to help us cope with fear or anxiety, they're gone now. Mom's gone, dad's gone, the church is gone, the friendships are gone. Whatever it might be that was your solace, that was your rest, that was your respite, has been removed. The mountains have crumbled into the sea. And this tells me a, first, a few things about the tragedies that we face. That in the midst of tragedy, we can learn a few things. And the first, the first thing that I want to observe is that we all face them. We all face heartbreak. The text doesn't say if the mountains fall into the sea, right? If by chance this might happen to you, it might not. It will. Oh, that's not a promise I like. You know, I don't want that promise. I want the promise of love and joy and peace. But God says in, in, in right here, when these, though they fall into the sea, when this happens to you, what has happened in your life, what, what has happened in your life that for you has felt like your world has ended? And maybe that nothing like that has happened to you yet, but what would it be? Fill in the blank. So tragic, so heartbreaking, that it just sort of paralyzes your soul. And I know that we've all endured varying degrees of loss and difficulty, abuse, whatever it might be. Maybe to hear those spirit and soul-crushing words, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. The earth gives way. The mountain falls. Time sort of stops. How did that happen? Or maybe a phone call in the middle of the night. There's been an accident. And the clock stops ticking. And the air leaves the room. Right? The earth gives way. The mountains fall. We're going to have to let you go. The earth gives way. The mountains fall. We all have to stare heartbreak in the face, tragedy in the face. And the second thing I think that we can learn about 
tragedy in the midst of it is not only that it's inevitable, but hey, better news, we can't do anything about it. (laughs) We are powerless over it. If the earth quakes, there is nothing that we can do to stop it. If the mountains fall into the sea, move. Don't get in the way because you can't stop a mountain from falling. See, that's what's pictured here, right? When we face tragedy, the imagery that's put in front of us, mountains falling into the sea, the, the earth quaking, the sea surging, it's, it's describing things that you can't handle, that you can't do anything about. You see, like, if you break a leg, oh, when you break your leg, God is our refuge. Well, I can mend my leg. I can do something about that. There are certain problems that when I face them, I can, you know, start doing the math. I can get my to-do list out and fix it, right? You all know what I'm talking about. But there are certain things we can do absolutely nothing about. There are certain things that when they happen, we are completely powerless. And that's what is described in this passage in Psalm chapter 46. Israel, Judah, excuse me, Judah could not defeat an army that big. It was impossible. It was just math. They couldn't do it. They were powerless. They were a little tiny grain of sand, and Assyria was a mountain. So if they were going to get off the hook, if they were going to get rescued, it would only be because God did it for them. You see, friends, we face tragedies in our lives, and I know that we all go through this from time to time. There's nothing that we can do about it. Nothing. We're powerless. We try to get in its way, but we realize it doesn't work. We can't control the weather, and we can't control tragedy. It's what makes it so scary. It's what makes it so hard to know that we're powerless over it, that we can't do anything about it. I can't imagine as a parent having a, a little one that's, that's deathly sick and there's nothing that you can do. You're just kind of watching it happen. What do you do when your mountains crumble into the sea? The third thing I see here is that we need to seek the greater mountain, the mountain that can't fall into the sea. And here's the heart of the matter. We all count on something to provide us, I think, with protection and with safety, some kind of solution to our crushed soul in times of tragedy. To seek the greater mountain, though, is to fall on him, the Lord, when life is falling on you. To fall on God, the refuge, the mountain that cannot crumble, the the mountain that cannot be shaken, We fall on him when life falls on us. To seek the greater mountain is to fall on him, to do this, to make your complaint known to him, to not bear your burdens alone, to recognize that God is mature enough, he is a big enough boy to hear your heart poured out to him, to go to him, just as simple as that, to say to God what you're hurting over. Read the Psalms. You don't have to pretend in prayer. Oh God, you are great and majestic and everything is wonderful because of you. You don't have to pray like this. You can say, God, God, why? I'm dying. There is a darkness. Read the Psalms. This is what David does over and over again. Why do you think he was such a healthy man? Because he brought his crumbling mountains to the mountain. You see? Seek the great cry out to him. Cry to him. Weep with him. 
Wail with him in his presence. Trust him with your broken heart. The Lord is our refuge and strength. He is our strength. What does that mean? We are weak. We are not told to be strong. He is our strength. The Lord is our refuge. A very present help in trouble. He comes to the rescue. You don't have to sit atop that warrior horse and defeat the enemy because he does it for you. Friends, this isn't to say that when we go through loss and that when we go through tragedy that it shouldn't feel tragic. It should. It should hurt. It's not to say that when when, when we trust in God that we never feel crushed inside because of loss. But it is to say that we can trust the refuge, the great mountain, the one who can't be shaken, that he is leading us to a better place, a safe place, in spite of the trouble that surrounds us. The protection not of things material, but things of God who created all material. It's help for the helpless. It's salvation for the bankrupt. The Lord is our refuge in the midst of tragedy, friend. The, the, like I said, the text pictures mountains falling into, into the sea. And in this, God is our refuge. How is God our refuge when mountains are crumbling around us? It, that, that doesn't seem to make sense. How is he our safety? Right, God is your refuge, he's your safety. Meanwhile, mountains are falling into the sea. How am I safe with that? He's not prevent, in other words, he is not preventing the tragedy here. He is allowing it to happen. You see, that's the mistake that we make when we think, I'll turn to God for my refuge and he'll fix all my problems. Oftentimes he doesn't. Oftentimes he allows them to continue. And the mountain does fall into the sea. What do you do then? You turn to the one who is higher than you. Because he can restore a joy lost. He's not our refuge in the sense that he will prevent tragedy, but that he can and will carry us through it when we cry out to him, when we make our complaint known to him. He's the refuge, not the mountains. Just kind of, let's say that again and think about it. He's the refuge, not the mountains. We worship him, not rocks. And our Lord will never crumble. Never. And that's why the Lord is the only adequate refuge for us in times of trouble. If we seek equilibrium and something else that could just as easily crumble into the sea, then what have we gained, friends? Nothing. We need to turn to the one who is our safety, our salvation, our rescuer. The world's, I think, our own safe places, they collapse all around us, but we trust in him who is God over the sea, God over the hills, God over the governments, God over our family, God over cancer, God over death, the victor, the champion, the restorer, the rescuer. He can rescue you, and he will if you cry out to him. And he is our refuge, number two, in the midst of fear. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. 
God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. There is a city that makes glad the city of God. God is with her. Little Kyle, five-year-old on his little bed, God is, my mom was with me, and I was safe. Friends, in the city of God, you're safe. You're safe. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. And here we have an image of the city of God versus the city of man. The city of God versus the city of man. The city of God is described as quiet, as glad, as life-giving. The city of man, noisy, scary, unsettling. We know that, right? We live in the city of man. We have a figure of a river flowing through the city of God. A reference, by the way, to the river in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and the river of life in the book of Revelation at the end. This, this is a metaphor for the life-giving water, the, the life that, of Jesus Christ that he provides for you and him. A life that cannot be taken. There's another passage, by the way, in the Old Testament. It says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Friends, this is a refuge reference. Water is life-giving. It protects us. It saves us. It gives us life. What water do you drink for life? Where do you get your water? What Scripture is saying is oftentimes people... They hewn for themselves cisterns, buckets that are broken. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza. Right? And it can't hold water. Your marriage can't hold water. It's not life-giving. And oftentimes marriages end and we leave our wives because we learn that in marriage. Wow, I'm not getting life from you. Uh, maybe, I, But we don't do the math. We don't realize that it's not because of the marriage. Right? It's It's... In other words, hey, I'll just get remarried to someone else, then I'll have life. No, it's every marriage will do that to you. Every marriage will disappoint you. You can't get life from marriage. You can't get life from children or money or anything like these. They're broken cisterns that hold no water. They are mountains that can crumble into the sea. There is only one God, the Lord. He made you. He loves you. He made you in his image, and you need him before any of those other things. And here is our refuge. Oftentimes, we have relied on a refuge that cannot protect us. They are broken cisterns. They cannot save us. Jesus said, he's the living water. He's the cistern that holds life. Not your status, not your power, not your accomplishments or successes. He is the cistern that holds water. He is the one that declares you righteous, declares you loved, declares you accepted in his sight. It's from his throne that this living water flows, not from your throne. So we come to him empty-handed. We drop it all, and we say, okay, you're my life. And you know what that does? It doesn't make tragedy painless, but it does make it hopeful. We have hope that there is a God in heaven in which Water flows from unending, for free, without cost, available to anyone who would simply come to him. There is a river which brings joy to the city that worships God. In spite of the raging of nations, the people of God are glad. God will not fail. 
He will preserve his people because he is present. Isn't that great? At the end of the Bible, Jesus Christ is pictured as coming back. And all of this, the the nations are raging. Everyone's fighting, killing each other, injustice. We all know that that, that's not the way to live. So Jesus Christ comes back in the middle of all this. This is the end of the book of Revelation. And you know what happens? You know what's pictured? He's there with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. And the Bible says that the armies of God are behind him, dressed in white. Right? They're with him. You know who that is? That's God's people. That's, that's anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ with him. But you know what's very interesting? It's called an army, but that army doesn't lift a finger. Jesus settles it. He comes back. He settles it while we stand on nothing and watch him do it. You see, friends, he is the life-giving water. We are not. We need to be rescued by him. We are not in control. He is in control. The house dedicated to God above all other gods is the house of gladness, of joy, of triumph. And all the graves, the tragic graves that you will endure in life, like Christ, you will emerge out of alive from the dead. You see, that's our hope in Christ, friend. He is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Tragedy does not bring us gladness, of course not, but it redirects us. It redirects our fear. Without hope, fear, what does fear become? It becomes raging. It becomes an uproar. It becomes war. But with hope, we have eyes that can see through the death. We see through it and know and trust that Christ is coming. God is our refuge, touches our deepest sorrow, and he makes us glad. Oh, we'll all quake at times. We'll all rage. We'll all be afraid. But there is a river that makes glad the most devastated, the most horrifying tragedy. The river, the water of life, is Jesus Christ. Come to him. Friends, come to him. He is our refuge, even in the midst of conflict. Number three, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of fear, in the midst of conflict. Come and see what the Lord has done. God is inviting us to look into it. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He makes them cease. Remember, not the army of God behind him, but Christ. He makes them cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. Trust me. When nations are waging, when families are warring, he says, I will be exalted above the nations and in the earth. You see, we might not see it now, but it's coming. There's a passage in Scripture where Judas, you know that, that, that sick beast who betrayed Christ, right? He betrays him with a kiss. Jesus says to him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
right? In other words, there's a time where evil reigns, where wickedness, it seems as if, is unbridled, that it has control. But Jesus says, this is your hour. And you know what, friends? An hour isn't very long, is it? It's going to end. This is your hour and the power of darkness. But Christ is coming to end that hour, to end the hour of bitterness and of pain and of suffering and of trial. Trust in him. Take refuge in him. This is your hour and the power of darkness. I saw Satan cast out of heaven. Revelation, I think, chapter 13. I saw Satan cast out of heaven, and he made war with the world, knowing that he had but a short time. You see, he's got a time, but it's a short time. You see, friends, when we know this, we can endure tragedy with hope that Christ is coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth to end all injustice and pain and death and suffering. Come to him, trust him, fall on him with your complaint and your heartbreak because he lives to set it right. Come and see. God invites us to come and see what he's done. The amazing things that he will work. You see, what's, he, what's happening here? These nations are waging. There's this conflict but he's settling it out. He's finishing it. He's breaking the bow. Come and see it. You see, you think your life's a mess, that everything around you is in conflict, but he's coming to break that bow for you. He's coming to burn that shield up. It's happening. It will happen. Desolations he makes. That's kind of an interesting thing that's said in here. But it means to be empty. He's making things empty. He's making it bare. And here's the imagery. He wants to make desolate everything that you trust in to rescue you. He wants to take it away. What do you trust in? Your kids, your marriage, your money? Make it desolate. And trust in the only refuge that can actually save you and bring your heart joy. Because he makes wars to cease. He ends the conflicts we enter into. He says, stop fighting. He says, be still. You're not in control. It's okay. Trust him. Stop fighting your wife. Stop fighting your husband. Trust Christ. The conflicts that we so often enter into so that we might feel a a sort of refuge in the victory of that conflict. I was right. And we're commanded, stop. Be still. Know that I am God. I will rescue you. It's not easy to be still. Some of you aren't being still right now. You're like, when is this guy going to be done? (laughs) It's almost, thank you. (laughs) It's almost when when we feel like everything's falling around around us, we feel irresponsible to be still. No, that's when I got to work. I got to do something about this. I got to get up. But what do we learn from King Hezekiah? He stopped, he was still, and he cried out to God. This is what he did. Be still. Know that I am God. There's not much more that I can really add to that statement. What a powerful, be still and know that I am God. If we could just kind of have that as like the anthem of our heart, how much happier our life would be, right? Be still. Rest and trust that God is good and powerful in directing you. Be still and know that I am God. Friends, you know what this means? 
I kind of said it already, but if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are going to be okay. It's the simplest way that I can say it. You're going to be okay. No matter what happens to you, you're going to be good. You're going to, not only that, you're going to be great. There is an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. There is a better bridegroom waiting for you. Maybe you lost your groom or bride. But there's a better one waiting for you. There's a better dad than the knucklehead that might have abused you all your life. There's a great one, a father, a good one, waiting for you, calling you home. Come to him. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but of a gift of God. Oh, isn't that great? You're going to be okay. You know, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. I've heard, I heard someone say that once. I like that. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. But, friends, just remember this. In Christ, you're going to be okay. <laughs> Amen? Come on. You're going to be okay because he's our rescuer, and nothing can make him crumble into the sea. He's our God. Here's a refrain in this beautiful song in Psalm 46, verses 7 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of, re- of Jacob is our refuge. So no, no matter what's happened to you, you've been left naked, stripped bare. The Lord of Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Isn't that incredible? Let me close with this. In the Old Testament, there, we talked about this a while back, but in the Old Testament, there's this story about Israel in Egypt and all these plagues. You guys have heard of this, right? So the very last plague, the angel of death comes and takes the, ver- the firstborn, right? And Israel is told, along with Egypt, by the way, you put blood over your doorpost and you'll be okay. The angel of death will pass over you. Now, how many people know, you might, you might be a Christian this morning, you've got the blood o- over your doorpost, but you're inside terrified still. It doesn't matter if you're afraid. What matters is the blood. Right? You're going to be okay whether you're afraid or not. Whether you're eating the meat of the lamb and whistling Dixie, or you're terrified in the corner crying in your soup. You're going to be, either way, you're going to be okay. Your joy in that moment, though, depends on your trust in the blood of Christ. Do you trust him? Because if you trust him, you're going to be able to endure the death that comes over you. Amen? Oh, come to Christ, friends. Come to Christ this morning. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that the blood of Christ by faith protects us from every death we might encounter. Physical death, real death, the death of relationships, the death of a job, the death of children or friends. Protects us from conflict and fear. God, we thank you, Lord, that in spite of how we feel when the blood of Christ has atoned for our sin, we're going to be okay. God, thank you that in Christ we are loved We are not rejected. In Christ, we are safe. In Christ, every death that we've endured, we will emerge from the grave. 
God, I pray, Lord, that we would not seek earthly mountains, but the better mountain. That we would trust in you, that we would drink from the living water and not from our own broken cisterns, our own failed attempts at joy. God, I pray, Lord, help us to have the life that only Christ can provide. And God, as we come to you now in repentance and faith, we trust you to take away our sins. And if you don't know Jesus Christ right now, this moment, can you please just know there's a God in heaven, and he's proven that by everything that he's made. He's, he's proven who he is by resurrecting his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That's how we know that Jesus, what Jesus said was true, because he's alive. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Every religious leader is dead. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the cistern that you need water from. I am the only source for forgiveness of sin. I am the only resurrection from every death you've endured. Come to him right now by faith. By grace you will be saved. It's a gift of God. It is not a hoop you have to jump through or works that you have to perform. It's simply trusting that Jesus Christ died in your place. And if that's you, your sins are washed away. You are forgiven. You're in the house covered by the blood, and you're going to be okay. You have a city coming for you, a good one, where there is joy and gladness, where Jesus Christ himself will dry every tear you've ever cried. Friends, come to him right now in faith. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. And if that's you, just cry out to God in the, in the silence of your own heart, God, save me. I'm a sinner. Wash my sins away. Forgive me. Give me that water, the water of life. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died and is risen and bids me to come to him. God, I come to you empty-handed. Save me. Friend, if that's you, there's no magic trick. There is no... There is no thing that you need to do. You are safe. He has rescued you. Come and pray with me if that's you after the service. I would love to meet you. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that we're going to be able to feast now figuratively on the, on the body and blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.